Good morning. My name is Nick Crawford. I'm the group's pastor here at Fondren Church. We are in the third week of this look at the nations through the lens of the prophet Habakkuk. First week, we got the question, why, God? How long? Second week, we got the answer, shocking as it was. Things are going to get worse before they get better. The Babylonians are coming to town. This week, we get a vision. We get a vision. We get a new perspective. We get a new way of seeing things. Yes, Habakkuk, the Babylonians are coming. They're headed straight for you. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Not going to change that. They're coming to town. They're going to rape, pillage, and plunder. And yet we see that the righteous shall live by faith. That's what we're going to be talking about today. How to live by faith in the midst of really hard times. So I figure we better start with a definition of what is faith. Hebrews 11, 1 tells us, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Living by faith is all about seeing things a little bit differently. Now, some of you know this about me, and some of you have a lot of fun with this, especially Robert Greene. I think he likes this because it gives him a little ammo against me, all right? But I got a little bit of something off with me, all right? If you spend any measure of time with me, you probably would not disagree. There's something a little bit off with me. And truthfully, I didn't think there I had much wrong with me at all until I married a doctor. Now, she diagnoses everything that's wrong with me. I'm like sometimes left thinking, is there anything right with me? <laughs> I got this thing in my brain. She calls it aphantasia. It's a big word. I had to Wikipedia it. But it basically means that my mind's eye is blind. I cannot visualize things that I've never seen before. Can't do it. Love to read. Can't do fiction. Now, Kristen, she can read Harry Potter, The Hobbit, Hunger Games, all that junk. <laughs> she can hear their voices. She can see their faces. She can literally be transported to another world. I can't. My mind will not allow it. And that poses a bit of a problem for me particularly when it comes to faith. If faith is the conviction of things not seen, how am I to live by faith if I can't see those things? That's the question for us all today. How do we live by faith? We're going to pick up the answer. We see the answer pretty clearly in Habakkuk 2. Before we get there, let's pray. Our Father, you're the king. You're sovereign and you're in control. We believe your word, which says that you are working all things, all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Help us to see past the things that stand right in front of our faces. Help us to see beyond them. Help us to rise above by looking to the one, you, who sit securely enthroned above them. Help us to see Jesus today. Let every word that comes from my mouth point people to the King of kings and the Savior of the world. Amen. Now we're going to be in chapter 2, as I mentioned. Verses 1 through 4 is kind of where we're going to hang out most of the time. But we're going to march through the whole chapter, okay? We're going to march through the whole chapter, so it might be handy for you to keep the Bible in front of you or your apps dialed in, okay? Chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. And what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision. 
make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. So how do we live by faith? That's the question. That's the question today. The answer to that question in this passage is the main idea because the answer reveals to us who God is. God is the king. He's sovereign, he's in control, and he has a plan. All right, what's he doing? The king is speaking to his man. He's speaking to his man in some really bad times. He answers Habakkuk and he gives him a vision, a new perspective, a new way of seeing things. And it's through this new vision that Habakkuk can look at the nations a little bit differently. This vision fills Habakkuk with hope in the worst of times. God's saying, I got a sovereign plan that can't fail, so you can count on me. God's answer reveals God's plan for the nations. His answer, wait for the vision. Wait for the vision. So our question, how do we live by faith? How do we wrestle with God and embrace him in the worst times? It's not so much about what you see or how you see, so much as it is about who you're looking to. But here's our problem. All right, here's our problem. We tend to only see the things that are standing right in front of us. So as we take a look at the nations, we need to look at some things differently. Let's take a look at our sovereign king's plan for the nations. His plan is a redemptive plan, and it involves the nations. Now, the nations are the people who are far from God, okay? So right when sin entered the world, God announced his plan immediately. Genesis 3.15, it involves a seed, an offspring, okay? This seed is coming to crush the evil one's head. Fast forward to chapter 12 of Genesis. God comes to a man named Abram, calls Abram, gives Abram a promise. In you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. A few more chapters later, God comes back to Abram, changes his name to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. And it's through Abraham's offspring, his seed, that God will bless the nations. We know the story. Abraham was old and childless. He waited on God, and God gave him a child late in life, Isaac. Isaac had a child named Jacob. Jacob, a man who famously wrestled with God, who first ran from God, who went far from God, then wrestled with God, and whom God wrestled into submission to show Jacob who was really in control, then God blessed Jacob changed his name to Israel, which means God wrestles, all right? Israel had some sons, a few of them, 12 to be exact, 12 sons which formed the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Israel, the nation that God intended to be a light for the nations. Now Israel, the nation, failed to be that light. They rejected God. So God would prove that he would wrestle them into submission by sending a wicked nation as an instrument of his, of his judgment. But that would not be the last word, okay? Israel's rebellion would not be the last word. God is sending his servant, and he will bring forth justice to the nations, and he will be a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners. And so we pick up the story with another man. His name is Habakkuk. His name also means wrestle or embrace, as we've been saying. Habakkuk helps us see very clearly 
in the worst time. Habakkuk shows us how to live by faith. So we come to it. God's in control. God is in control, and it's truly an act of faith to live like that, to live like God really is in control. But that's the vision we need. We need to see that. So how do we live by faith in hard times? How do we see differently when all we see is right in front of us? What's in front of you? It's Egg Bowl week. Hmm? It's Egg Bowl week. How are you going to live when your team loses? How are you going to live by faith when your team loses? How are you going to live by faith when when the baby won't stop crying in the middle of the night when your little kid sasses you in the checkout line? How are we going to live by faith then? How are we going to live by faith when your child gets sick? When your parents get sick, when your child leaves the nest, how are we going to live by faith when the divorce papers are filed, when the creditors knock, when cancer strikes? How are we going to live by faith then? Habakkuk shows us. He shows us that living by faith involves a change in perspective, a shift in how you see the world. By looking at things differently, Habakkuk gives us real hope in the midst of some seemingly hopeless times. To live by faith, you need three things, right? Three things. You need provision. You need vision clarity. And you need vision fulfillment. First point, to live by faith, you need provision. We're going to hang out in the first three verses here. To live by faith and see things differently, you need to look past your circumstances. Habakkuk shows us that very thing in this stretch of scripture. The example of his perspective in some really tough times is the example we need to follow. Three things in this passage right here. You got them on the screen. Watch, right, wait. Verse one, watch. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he, God, will say to me, this is a proactive move. That's what I want you to see here. This is a proactive move. He goes to his post like a watchman, like a lookout, like a sentinel. He climbs up to the top of the tower. He gets above his circumstances. He gets above all the bad stuff so he can see beyond them. The tower, the tower was a military structure, all right? It's where the sentinels would go to stand post so they could see what was coming their way. In the tower high up, They could see the horizon. They could see way out. They could see weather patterns forming in the distance. They could see enemy invasions mounting a charge. They could see way out. They could see envoys. They could see messengers coming and heralding a word their way. And that is exactly what we see Habakkuk doing here. He's waiting. He's looking out to see what God will say to him. He's scanning the horizon with provision, forward, expectant, looking vision he's proactively watching for a message for a word from God this man of God rises above his circumstances and here's how he does it he looks to the one who sits enthroned above them verse 2 write the Lord answer me write the vision make it plain so he may run who reads it write it down Habakkuk don't forget it don't miss what I gotta say to you God's telling him, the message isn't just for you, Habakkuk. It's for someone else. Write it down so he may run who reads it. In the New Testament, that phrase run often carries a meaning of endurance. In other words, God's saying, this message is to help you endure whatever it is you're going through. Verse 3, 
wait, for the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Wait, the word there, wait means longing for, okay? It carries an implication of a tying to or a binding of yourself to something in the future. It's an activity. It's not passive, okay? Look, Habakkuk moved. He set himself in the right posture to see God. He looked past the circumstances with provision. Waiting on God isn't what we tend to think. We think it kind of looks like this. Hey, hey, man, what you doing? Man, I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord, doing my devotions here. When he moves, brother, I'll move. No, that's not the example Habakkuk gives to follow here. He's saying there's got to be a movement. Okay, Habakkuk moved because he knew that God was ruling above his problems. He went up stood at his post to receive a message for somebody else. Habakkuk waited on the Lord by actively serving him in the present. Even when God told him something he didn't really want to hear. The Babylonians are coming. It is going to get worse before it gets better. And yet Habakkuk still waited and he still served. Waiting is serving. We get that, right? We get that. What are servants called over there at Babalu and Brents and Walkers here in Finder? What, what are the servants called? Waiters, waitresses, right? We get that. Waiting involves action. Those waiters and waitresses are moving around. Think about the last time you got a little testy when you ate out. It wasn't because you didn't have time to wait. If you were in a hurry, you would have picked fast food, right? Waiting involves moving. No, you got a little testy because you weren't being waited on. You needed some ketchup for your fries. Drink glass got a little low. You wanted the dessert menu. Whatever it was, the servers were not serving you. And that's why you got a little testy. Waiting on God is serving Him in the present. It's actively seeking Him out with a right posture. It's looking beyond our circumstances and looking to the one who sits enthroned above them. So how you doing today? How's your vision are you living by faith? Are you able to see past your circumstances or are you so stuck in them that you can't see past them? Do you need to get above them? Said differently, who are you looking to? Who are you counting on? Here's a quick assessment. Here's a quick assessment for us. How does your prayer life look like? Do your prayers sound like this? God, get me out of this. This thing, get me out of this. Or do they sound like this? God, what do you have for me? in this trials hurt suffering hurts right easy trials hurt but they're actually good for us a couple of verses that speak to that james 1 2 through 4 count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. Suffering completes. Next one, Romans 5. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance, is produce, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. To see things differently and live by faith, you need provision. You also need vision clarity. That's the second point. 
You need vision clarity. We're going to hang out in verse 4 here. And it, verse 4 takes us two different directions. Okay, it's like a trampoline. The first half springs us backward. Okay, it gives us an, an example to avoid. The second half springs us forward. Okay, we're going to hang out in verse 4a, the first half of verse 4 here. And then we're going to march through the rest of the chapter. Okay, but remember our problem. Remember our problem. We tend to see the things that are right in front of our faces and those things to be, tend to be the things that we grasp for to give us life. The things right in front of us obscure our vision. In the first half of verse 4, we're confronted with the way of the, puff, of the puffed up Babylonian. His soul is not upright within him. Let's look at their example because that's the example to avoid. All right? They thought they were sovereign. They thought they were in control. They were their own king, so they did as they pleased and all for their own glory. But we learn in verses 5 through 20 that all earthly kingdoms come and go. There is only one true king. This passage gives us vision clarity, and it helps us to see the nations a little bit differently. Look at that phrase. Seven times in this little chunk, we see this, this phrase, all peoples and all nations, all right? Verse 6, shall not all these, referring to all peoples and all nations that the Babylonians had gathered and collected for themselves in verse 5. Nations, again, are the people far from God. Shall not these take up their taunt against him and say, woe. Verses 6 through 20 compose a taunt song. It's like that annoying thing you all sing in the playground, nanny boo-boo. Except this ain't child's play, okay? The weak, defeated, and presently hopeless sing a collective song of woe over their oppressors. God's telling Habakkuk the weak will become strong in the end. It's the nations that will win. Jesus says that same thing in Matthew 5, 5. For the meek shall inherit the earth. The nations declare five woes over Babylon aimed directly at their five motives for conquest. Here we go. Wealth, verses 6 through 8, they loaded up on pledges like IOUs, but verse 7 through 8, your debtors, those many nations and many peoples, they will arise to plunder you, O Babylon. Security, verses 9 through 11, they built their house on high to be safe, and they built a wall around it. Sounds like they wanted to make Babylon great again. They rejected the idea of the cornerstone that there's someone greater actually holding it all, upholding the entire universe by the word of his power. They thought they were different, that they were unique, that they could keep it all together when the pressure got hot. They were wrong. Verse 11, the idol of their security will cry out against them. It's the woodwork and the stones that they use to make this megastructure that are actually going to haunt them and cry out at them. Reputation, verses 12 and 13. They wanted to make a name for themselves and build a city that would last forever. Verse 13, their labor would be for nothing. Power, verses 15 through 17. They were empty of glory. So they covered themselves with their own work to prove their own worth. Yet they did so by exposing others. Verse 16, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory, and it's they that will be exposed. They will see their uncircumcision. Verses 18 to 20 show us that it's control. They didn't know God, so they had to create their own worthless, speechless, dead idols, these teachers of lies. They, these are the things that they grasped for. 
They fashioned these obstacles to arise between them and the true king. And it's these obstacles that stood in the way of their right relationship with the true king and his true authority. But verse 20. The true king is on his throne. The Lord is in his holy temple. Yeah, Babylon is going to sweep in. They're going to come roaring into town. And they're going to reduce the holy sanctuary to rubble. But God is on high. He's ruling from heaven. He's on high, ruling above them. He's the true king. He has the power to judge all nations. It's the way of the puffed up man that would be found guilty. Now, right in the middle of that taunt song lies a promise. It's a promise that stands for all time. Verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Glory is God's majesty. It knocks people down. It blows them away. And it's a prerequisite to seeing God clearly. He's the king and before him all nations will bow, even and especially the puffed up. Now, Kristen and I, we have been for a while uh, trying to discipline a rambunctious three-year-old boy. And Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 has given us a bit of vision clarity on the matter. It says this, children, clear, clear directive to the boy. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother that it would go well with you in the land. That's our whole game plan. Our whole game plan, our whole plan is to show our son that he's under authority. Spare the rod, spoil the child. That works a lot. But let me tell you, it doesn't work every time. Here's what works every single time. When we are able to identify the thing that stands between my son and his relationship to authority, and we take that thing away, the relationship is restored. You're like, man, Nick's got this parenting thing down pat. You got to figure it out, man. No, no, like any kind of game plan, it usually boils down to execution. And I have executed very poorly of late. You see, the one thing right now standing between my son and his relationship to authority is television, especially in the mornings when we're trying to rush out of the house and get to where it is we need to go. I can literally stand in between that boy's face and give him something to do, and he'll look right on past me to whatever it is playing on the screen. So I tried a little experiment this weekend, this whole week, actually. I was like, Coy, no TV in the mornings. And guess what? Eureka. Relationship restored. He is responding rightly to authority now. He's obeying a lot more. And let me tell you what, things are going a lot better in the land for little Coy. (laughs) Idols. Idols are the things that stand between us and God, they're obstacles that obscure the vision, the right vision of our true king and our true authority. Living by faith involves submitting to the king's will, to his control. But verse 18, these idols, these teachers of lies deceive us into thinking that we are in control. So we take matters into our own hands and we fail to see with clear vision of a life lived by faith. So what are you grasping for? When things go wrong, where do you go? What are you looking to? What's the thing that's standing right in front of you that you can't see past it? In our fallen pride, we think that we can fix things. 
When the pressure mounts, we grasp at things and we try to control them. We crave control. And so we feed our addictions. We go to the bottle again, to the pill. We go to pornography, whatever it is. We try to control things with the things that stand right in front of us. We're deceived. Our actions are saying that we cannot believe in the one who's in control. Our actions are saying that we think we have the power to save ourselves with these things. Romans 1.25 hits us pretty hard. It says we've all exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We've worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And that's the way of the puffed up. It's pride that tells us that we can save ourselves with things. But the remedy to pride is always humility. Consider Jesus' example in Philippians 2. Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And that takes us to the final point today. To see things differently and live by faith, you need provision, you need vision clarity, and you need vision fulfillment. Verse 4b. It's funny though, you know, when we know the final score, we tend to play the game a little bit differently in the present. Second half of verse 4, 4b. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Living by faith is trusting in the sovereign king's plan. And remember, the king's plan involves the nation's Aren't you so glad that it does? In the New Testament, the nations, those people far from God, are often called the Gentiles. Same word, different language. And God's vision for the nations finds its fulfillment in the gospel. Verse 4b is actually quoted three times in the New Testament. Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to Everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, that's the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is for the Gentiles too, the people far from God. Faith does not come through your heritage or through your DNA. Galatians 3.11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Faith doesn't come through doing all the right things. Hebrews 10, 37 to 38. See if you can catch the vision here. See if you can catch Habakkuk's vision here. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Did you catch it? Did you catch Habakkuk's Vision. Remember Habakkuk 2, verse 3. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It will surely come. It will not delay. The author of the Hebrews changes the it to a he. Habakkuk's vision is Jesus. Faith comes through Jesus. Now back to the king's redemptive plan. It started with a seed that God promised to multiply through Abraham, the father of many nations. Abraham lived by faith, trusting in God's sovereign plan. And just when things looked totally out of control, God was completely in control. Acts 2, 23 to 24. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up 
loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God is in control and he has a plan that can't be stopped. It involves the nations. Jesus returned. He returned and he announced that plan. It involves the church. You are a key player in the plan. Matthew 28, 18 to 19, Jesus comes and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And the result of the king's plan, we see it at the end. We see the end score. It's that every tongue, tribe, and nation will stand before the king and worship the king before his throne together. One of the cool things that I love about Fondren Church is that we have been intentionally demonstrating a foretaste of that coming kingdom a good bit lately. Last month at Fondren Nights, we created a safe place, one that was previously not very safe, and we created a safe place where people could trick-or-treat and have a little bit of Halloween fun. Last Sunday, as we talked, Emily talked earlier, Red Door did the same thing. Many of you served alongside Red Door as we hosted a Thanksgiving meal, the meal of fellowship and of giving thanks to people from all walks of life. We all sat at the table together. Now, we know that Jesus is the light for revelation to the Gentiles and a light for the world, so we're bringing light to people who don't always see it. This month at Fonder Nights, last Wednesday of the month, a little shameless plug there. I'd like to see you all there. We're going to be decorating Christmas trees and personally delivering them on the weekend. One of our par- partners, Hard Pace, the Hard Places community, Drew Mellon is the bass player today. He leads it here on stateside, but they're having their annual fundraiser called Dine Against Darkness, where they are bringing light to one of the darkest corners of the world as they fight the battle against child sex trafficking. Next month, we're hosting the second annual Foster Kids Christmas Party at Hines County. We're throwing a party for the orphan and for the outcast. We know that God so loved the world that he gave the best gift. So we are showing the fatherless the love of the Father and giving them some very good gifts. That's cool. How are we doing? Are we living by faith today? Are you like me? You could stand to see some things a little bit differently. Are you trusting in God's sovereign plan to redeem those who are far from him? How are you serving the king today? What is it that you could do to demonstrate the coming kingdom here? Maybe your vision is a little bit obscured and you can't see that very far into the future. Maybe you're like, yeah, I know, Nick. I know. If I could see the final score, man, I'd play the game a little bit differently, but I just can't see it. Here's how you can. Here's how you can. Jesus waited on his people in the past so we can be confident and very sure that he will wait on his people again in the future. On the night Jesus was betrayed, we find the king of kings assuming the posture of a waiter at a meal. He took a towel, he tied it around his waist, he poured some water in a bowl, and he washed his disciples' feet. Then he said to them, If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And then he took the cup, the cup symbolic of the wrath of God, the cup that we deserve to drink from, and he willingly drank it, taking God's wrath upon him and swallowing it up entirely in victory for the people who were far from God, who would just look to him in faith. Now the people of faith can declare this truth with full confidence 
and with a full measure of faith. Ephesians 2, 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So how's your vision? How are you seeing things? Do you need some provision? Look to Jesus. He sits enthroned above your circumstances. Do you need vision clarity? Trust the king. He's in control. Do you need vision fulfillment? The king has come and he will surely come again. If he seems slow, wait for him. He will surely come. He will not delay. Looking to Jesus is how we live by faith today. He's the true king. He's in control. So we don't have to be. Let's pray. Our Father, you are the king.